your approach is like just bringing everybody together. And I, I love that approach. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Jesse Houlihan. Jesse, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Loving the snow. How are you? <laughs> we just got, well, my kids had school off today for some odd reason. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so Jesse, you're with Onyx um, Construction Management. Yeah. Why don't you just give our listeners your background, uh, where you came from, and then what your company is doing today? Yeah. Um, so I'm from Wisconsin and I came to Minneapolis to go to school. Um, I have a couple of degrees, one in environmental science and one in journalism. And I really always try to um, focus on work that's kind of intersectional between technical and communications. Um, so I love the technical science process, things like that, and then trying to break it down in ways that people can understand and do something with it. Um, I did a lot of things while I was in college, kind of working my way through the careers I thought I wanted to have. Um, but then when I graduated in 2008, first of all, the market was imploding. Um, but second of all, I'd kind of worked my way through nonprofit government consulting and publishing and found that I was pretty compelled with business at the time, which isn't what I thought I wanted to do. Um, but I did end up getting a job for an international consulting firm based in Amsterdam and really started both selling, doing hmm. the consulting work, billing the consulting work, um, really focused on built space. So I started working alongside architects and engineers, a lot of times in the role as like a technical consultant. Um, but I fell in love with this process of how all these different people with different goals kind of come together and make decisions that have this long-term impact in an asset and the people that use that building. Um, and then the economics of how it performs as well. Um, I went from consulting then to working in international environmental technology. Um, but that was also in and around built space. So it was a firm that had uh, hardware and a software SaaS system that managed energy and refrigerants for, for companies for their building. So um, we would just kind of assess what was going on and manage things using this technology. Loved getting to take a company global, loved really aggressive business. I learned so much there, really getting to oversee sales and marketing at a global level. Um, but then had other things that I, I really missed when I was doing that work. And one piece of it was just connection with the tangible physical asset. Um, I was selling software and services, um, but I didn't get to really touch or be a part of the buildings at all or, or the teams producing them. Um, so I lift, left that work and really intentionally kind of went back into AEC and development. Um, and that would have been in 2012 about then. Um, and I ran into stall construction at the time, um, kind of coming out of the recession. They really didn't have a strategy or clear vision of where they wanted to be and they weren't financially performing. Um, so I kind of joined their team initially just on a contract to assess the business, um, help them figure out if they could get back on track. Um, and then took that firm, uh, repositioned, grew, rebranded that firm. So we were doing more diverse kinds of work. Um, also grew the labor division pretty significantly. Spent about a decade running those two companies, so Stahl and Tecton Construction, um, before shifting out and starting my own company last year with a few business partners. So we're called Onyx Strategic Partners and really growing out of what I had been doing in the market, but also combined with my two business partners. And we're really looking at, you know, value add real estate opportunities just for straight investment. Um, sometimes those come with design and construction opportunities. 
We're also developing. Um, that's a thing I've kind of fallen in love with the last few years is um, being able to create something from nothing, create unique business models or produce typical product, um, but do it really exceptionally, thinking about new grants or opportunities and ways to kind of outperform competition. And then we're also just consulting. Um, so I'm consulting both in the public sector and in the private sector, both on development or oversight of everything from funding to design and construction, procurement of partners. Um, and then we are a general contractor as well. Um, we really are only general contracting on deals that we invest in or develop. Um, otherwise, I'm kind of overseeing other contractors. So you went from, I, I, I did not know that about you. I didn't know about your <laughs> uh, journalism and you said environmental science, right? Journalism yeah. and environmental science. You went from that to, man, what you're doing today, which feels like it's so much different. Like, are there any similarities to it or is it just like completely flipped upside down? Yeah. Well, I often think like, you know, journalism for me is like, it's all just communications. Yeah. So for me, sure. no matter what I'm working on, I'm thinking about how am I communicating this with various audiences from reporting to investors to, you know, like right now I'm advising a couple um, city councils. So getting to help the city council on how development works and how to best, you know, manage these opportunities. Um, so that's an easy overlap. The science for me is is all about like the technical. I'm still kind of the person who likes to break stuff apart and get into like how it works. And um, there's a lot of science that goes into building science. So like, how these things functionally work or my ability to like think about, um, you know, energy models for buildings or where my materials come from or the human health impact of the materials that we select on a project. Um, all of those are just things that, you know, ultimately, mostly in development and construction, I'm hitting budgets on time and helping people meet their goals. But yeah. what you're also getting when I'm working on a project is that by proxy, I'm just thinking about some of those other things. I'm thinking about where it comes from and how it's going to perform and affect the people in the environment where where it's located. Yeah, um, I, I've had a, a, it's interesting, you know, I don't know, when I first met you, uh, maybe 2019-ish. Uh, maybe a little bit later. Um, but we recently purchased a, an asset with um, Obsidian. And that's the, I've talked about it on this podcast. That's the uh, retail building uh, called Times Square. And you, the on, Onyx is working on that project. And I've been very impressed with kind of how you've got a lot of technical knowledge, which is extremely important, right? But beyond the technical knowledge, I think it's the organizational skill and the ability to communicate effectively with all parties involved, which is extremely valuable. And it's something I've been very impressed with you because I think as project managers, I see it struggle so much understanding, you know, how all these pieces come together. And um, it's a very technical thing. It's a very organizational thing. What are like, I don't, I don't know if it's easy for you to break it down. Some of the critical things that you think of or do to, to be successful in that, or, you know, what? Yeah. 
I love that project actually because it's it's a it's a good example of what we're trying to do at Onyx, which is we're really not trying to just step into the straight general contractor role for outside parties. Yeah. And we're really trying to engage in a way where we can be a strategic partner. I um, mean, like help under our clients and just drive work that intersects these important things cross cross sector, which is really collaborative work. Um, like when we can oversee, you know, architecture and engineering integrated with our subs and suppliers and what's going on in the market, we can help make choices that are going to hit your financial expectations, your timeline expectations, but also your performance for the building, best position it for the market, negotiate with the city on your behalf, things like that. I mean, I think the reason that that works and we're working on scaling it and finding other team members that can do this work uh, like me well is because we're really strategically looking at each of those components and looking cross market. We're not just in a silo needing to succeed within those parameters in that lane. We can look and say, all right, what is the budget that works that hits the financial returns for your investors? What are all of the opportunities uh, in how you can invest that money um, and where are you going to get the best results? You know, it's, yeah, it's very integrative. Yeah, and that, that's what I've appreciated the probably the most is that <laughs> you're not just taking and going, hey, you know what do you guys want to do? Just tell me exactly what you want to do, and I'm going to do it for you. Uh, I'm going to get I'm going to get this project done. You're you're thinking about the opportunities that are involved, and then you're going, okay, well these are the these are the approaches. You know, it's it's this collaboration effort. It's not just this. I'm going to follow your rules and do it. It's we, we need to think about these five things. Like let's yeah. think through these things and then let's choose the best paths or path or paths. Sometimes multiple paths we're looking at at the same time to try to determine what the highest and best use is, what makes the most amount of sense to move forward. And Quite frankly, like, what is the city going to allow us to do sometimes? Is, is the city going to even allow us to do that? Or are they looking for this? And being able to then interact with the city, interact with the engineers and architects, designers, all that kind of stuff, and contractors, subcontractors to say, hey, how does this all fit together? Um, which I think so many project managers miss that full kind of collaboration, integration. It's sometimes it's me against you. Uh, and I think business owners, quite frankly, miss that collaboration. Yeah. I think a lot of times that coming from what I had been doing, you know, um, running these last two companies before I started Onyx, um, a lot of times I was very much in that general contractor seat, right? I mean, the way our contractors work, the way that we're engaged in the market, um, there's a power dynamic and excuse my language, but it's kind of the shit flows downhill analogy where it's like you're at that owner level, the developer level, and then you pass on some risk and understanding to your architects and engineers what they yeah, need to design. Exactly. They passed on that risk to general contractors. We passed on that risk to subs and suppliers. I and mean, we all try to then enforce our contractual um, obligations on others so that, you know, as risks come up, we try to make it other people's problems, not our own. But the reality of how we put things together is we are all a part of this network that's making choices. And a lot of times choices are getting made in rooms without all of the understanding or information they need to make fully informed decisions. And I get how it happens. Um, when I was stuck in that other seat, I often ended up advising our clients, even though it wasn't my role, um, on kind of what is playing out, like leading you to have to do that thing um, so you can make a different kind of choice. And I would say, you know, like with what we're doing on Apple Valley, the way we've contracted with everybody has been really unique. Um, I firmly believe that subs and suppliers in our market 
have a lot of important intel that we should be considering right up front in that design and creation process. They know what materials are local, available, uh, cost-effective, performing, and maintaining those facilities. I mean, there is a difference in sub and supplier work between the kinds of trade work that drives measurable impact on your project, drives design, drives performance, and more commodity style subcontractor work, like I'm putting up your, or I'm putting in your carpets or painting your walls, right? Um, yes, there's some, some variance in the materials we can choose there. Some carpets off gas and have an environmental or human impact. It's good to know. Um, but generally you're buying product that has some sheets and data and people are gonna come put it down. Your mechanical system, your electrical system, structure in your building, your roof, um, all of these things really, uh, even just which vendor, which supplier you use can have a huge impact. So I do really like integrating those people right up front in planning. And then the way that we've contracted with architecture and engineer engineering is that all of those firms, instead of reporting through their architect, where that flows downhill, architects taking risk, they have all of their sub consultants that they're managing, but they're also then giving direction behind the scenes um, and handling, telling them what to do. None of those people are in a hierarchy. They all are reporting through us and they're all working for us on an hourly basis. So instead of having a set fee, here's what we're going to hand you and no kind of forced collaboration. And um, we're helping answer those questions up front. We're asking the owner group, you know, what kind of performance do you want? And we're giving direction around it. And as we get to design intent, then we strategically integrate our subs and suppliers to say what materials making the most sense, what's available, what's going to hit our budget. We have them give that data to our architects. The architect's not just specifying something. We're picking something that works already and we're building into the design, the system that will, allow us to put that metal panel up or, or whatever it is. So it's yeah. really integrative. Yeah. I, I love that approach. It just makes so much more sense than, than trying. And it's so easy to just assume, you know, everything right. And I, your approach is like just bringing everybody together. And I, I love that approach. Talk a little bit about, um, what it's like, you know, women in construction, I think it, for, for my women listeners being in construction industry, and if you're a real estate investor, you're in the construction yeah. industry, it just, you just are, right? It, if you own a piece of property, you're in the construction industry, you're dealing with some of these macho dudes that don't want to listen to a, a woman. Tell me about how you deal with that. Yeah. Well, I, I think you're right too. Real estate investment and in construction, I mean, both have very similar kinds of players and attitudes, slightly yeah. different ecosystems, but also some of the same reasons that I think we don't see women or minorities in that space as much. Um, I think number one, I think there's a huge barrier around just risk tolerance. Um, frankly, I've always, you know, mm. really my whole career, I've had roles where I've taken on roles where I'm, I'm paid at risk based on how I perform. So that's something that I got used to before I had my kids. Um, but I had my kids while I was doing work like that too. And when I run into women in the space now that even want to start buying duplexes or just get involved in investment and move towards passive income, a different way of living, or want to be involved in you know developing or the construction space, there's a huge barrier to get over that risk tolerance factor of like, how do I perform well and feel good about how I'm showing up in this other capacity. And I think there's things that our market can do to make that easier. Um, and I think some of it's just a headspace too. And then just kind of, you know, the, finding the right work for us. I have been someone who's always been really aggressive and has a really high risk tolerance where that's palatable to me. I, I want to be responsible to my family, but 
I'm happy to be in the arena fighting it out. Um, when it comes to like showing up in the space too, I have always worked predominantly in male dominated industries. Um, I used to kind of say that I thought men were easier to work with than women because while they're very direct and sometimes say things you don't want to hear, you know where you're where you stand with them. You know what's going on. Um, and me, I am a pretty intuitive person. So even if you're not telling me, I'm kind of figuring out how I think you feel or if you're happy or unhappy regardless. Um, so I think it's actually been an advantage to bring like, you know, maybe I am a more masculine woman, um, a little more aggressive, but also I use my my feminine skills and have been really successful just by, you know, paying more attention and being more intuitive and more collaborative and kind of adding that diversity of thought to the market too. I do produce work differently. Um, that's part of what's great about me. And I think, you know, women or other minorities would probably produce work in a different way that's advantageous to the market overall. Um, some of the ways I've survived with it has been, I, I do like employ a three strikes rule in general. Um, and I, I think this comes up, it depends on, you know, I guess it comes up with bankers as much as it comes up with subcontractors and suppliers. Um, people who the first time they run into you haven't seen someone like you doing the work you're doing, right? Um, so first time I run into somebody, you know, I have some space maybe for some comments um, that might seem ignorant or offensive to other people. I just do have some personal space for that. I understand like you you may be used to someone like maybe sitting in a marketing role yeah. or, you know, just something that looks different. And yeah. I am curious and going to engage. And so if that stuff comes up, I don't not correct it, you know, uh, but I think a lot of times the way I show up kind of speaks for itself. Like it, it plays out and um, I don't really even need to say much. Now, the second time something comes up, if it's like a second interaction, I will correct it a little bit more if it's something that's of issue to me or or like a way, you know, I would want to protect my teams in a similar way. That third time, if people are being intentionally trying to put me in my place or have issues, um, I won't choose to work with people like that. Um, but I do give it three strikes because I just, I, I think there needs to be a little space and tolerance for the fact that like all of us showing up and finding the work we want to do is not going to always be useful and graceful. Um, yeah. You're and always going to find people that have tension with you. What It doesn't matter who you are. There's always going to be somebody that's arrogant, somebody that's just what even having a bad day. Something. Mm -hmm. So you got to have that thick skin. So I, I love the three strike rule. Like, look, I'm willing to, we'll, we'll just kind of the first time more or less, we're going to, we're going to chalk it off. We chalk it up. We might have a little bit of conversation, but you know, the second time, look, Hey, this is how it is. And the third time it happens, see you later. Like, yeah. I, so I, I love that. I, I was, we were at uh, the Times Square deal and this um, inspector was being very rude. And I was super impressed by how you just reacted to him because a, a lot of people, whether it's a male or a female, but I think females in general would just kind of allow that attack to continue. And you just put him right in his place. And that is quite frankly, sometimes what it takes and whether it's a male or a female, sometimes that's what it takes. And you didn't do it in a demeaning way. You didn't do it in a rude way. You did it in a, a matter of fact way. And that's, what's really important when somebody's stepping over the line with you and you're in the position you're in, you're putting them in their place in a correction way, right? A corrective way, not a, not a, we're not 
you didn't speak down to them. You, you didn't slam them. You just told them the way it was. Right. Well, and, uh, I think that's super, that was, that was super impressive. And I'm guessing that's how you more or less, uh, do business with anybody that's trying to maybe walk over you or ignore you because, uh, you're a woman. Yeah. I think sometimes being different actually makes you a magnet for some of that negative energy. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, I don't think it's conscious. I don't think it's higher brain. I think a lot of times it's lower brain. It's subconscious. We're all under a lot of pressure. Mm. Um, it's coming out sideways. And a lot of times people are just directing it to wherever that's magnetically kind of flowing. And it's like, mm. oh, you seem like for whatever reason, the lowest on this totem pole or the person who I get to do this to, um, whomever that is, it could be just because you're young in your career, right? You get yeah. the person who wants yeah. to go off on you on the phone and whatnot. Um, but I think too, just like meditation, just some of my life practices stuff. I've always, I've, I've learned meditation at like 17 and I swear my brain just functions differently now. Um, I'm more than double that age. So more than half do of you, my life. I've been doing <laughs> do you meditation. meditate? Is it like a morning practice? It is uh what do you, what do you do? Whenever I can fit it in. When I was yeah. in like seasons of life where I was really structured, it was like first thing of the day, I'd get up, I'd meditate, I'd work out, I'd get to work by like seven. So I had a long season in construction where I was like early at it. That's when it fit. Um, but now I've got two kids, third on the way. Um, business can be early. Business can be really late for me. Um, so right now it's like whenever it fits into my day, but just finding that time to ground, release, open my mind, make sure I feel aligned with my highest and best path, my values, like why I'm here. Um, but that really helps me in those moments when I can tell you know, if I take some deep breaths, I know it's not about me. This is this energy flowing towards me. And I have the chance to treat someone else. I do have control over how I respond. Um, so doing it in a way that you're right, doesn't, doesn't just shut people down, um, doesn't just turn them away, gives them the chance to show up a little bit differently, but hopefully doesn't close the door either. So I think there's been a lot of, you know, we do need to stand our ground when people are inappropriate for sure. But I feel like there's been a lot of like touting, um, like, you know, blacklisting or, what do you call it when you just cancel somebody? There's yeah. been a lot of that happening for a few years now of that being the narrative. And I really struggle with that. Like we're all, none of us are perfect. We're all evolving and trying to figure out how to show up. We all have hidden and public battles. Um, so I, I hope we can treat each other well in the process of like getting better. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. I, like I said, I love the three, three, three strike rule. I mean, you got it. You have, first of all, this is, this is business. I mean, you just got to have thick skin. That's, that's just, I mean, that's kind of plain and simple. You have to have thick skin. You have to understand people are going to insult, insult you. People are going to talk down upon you, down, down to you. You know, people aren't going to respect you at times. I can think back when I was first starting, you know, I was young. I looked like I was 18 years old when I first started. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I don't look that uh, age anymore, but people didn't, they didn't respect an, you know, a, a, a kid like you, you own this property. What do you, what do you get out of here? You don't own this property. You know, it's that type of thing. And the people would just talk down. You just got to have thick skin and, and you got to be able to um, give people benefit of doubt too. And just, just keep on moving mm -hmm. on. I think having a lot of knowledge and, and that's something I would say you have a lot of, you have a really in-depth knowledge of the industry that you're serving, right? You really know construction. You really know design aspects. You really understand code. You understand what cities are looking for. You understand what companies are looking for. So you understand what your clients are doing and kind of the people you're interacting are expecting. And 
you have that wealth of knowledge. So when it comes to somebody questioning if you're the right person from the job for the job, it's really easy. Once they hear you talk, they're going, okay, yeah, this, she knows what she's doing. She's got it together. Like I'm, I'm going to hire this person to, to, you know, do this for us. Right. Uh, having that knowledge and being a master in your industry is so huge. Hmm. I think you're right. And what you said before, going back to like when you were young in the, in the field, um, I, I always go back to even when I just started in construction, I knew I had like, I think I needed to earn my self-confidence a little bit in my career. I've always been like this. I was like the Hermione as a child. I also started having businesses when I was like seven, I would just be like constantly trying to figure out how to have a business. Um, and I w- liked to work really hard and I was super detail oriented, but when it came to like launching in the market, I needed to do work. I needed to like cold call. I needed to sell work, deliver it, bill it, call when they weren't paying. Like I needed to like learn how to like be really confident in all the phases of it to be able to show up well and like share my knowledge to, to maximum, um, confidence, right? It, t- it took me a little time. But when I think of when I shifted into construction, I'd already done pretty well at the things I'd done before that. In fact, like leaving tech didn't make sense to most people. I was pretty heavily recruited and pretty young to be heavily recruited to into leadership in tech. Um, and I really wanted to be in built space. But I was taking, yeah, I knew I was good at these things, but I was entering a market that was like, we don't really care. Um, We have a whole history of knowledge in each of these categories, architecture, engineering, construction, development. Each one's its own thing. You need to pick a track and your information isn't necessarily transferable. Um, And a lot of people wanted to know, like, how did it work repositioning those businesses then? And I think part of why it was successful was I really went into most of these meetings with like, I'm learning constantly. Um, I will share the strategies that I think, but like every single person has something they can teach me. They have domain experience. Even if it's a subcontract category, they know how to install it better. They know what's available. They know what's going on yeah, um, cool. in that category better than I ever will. Yeah. Um, so I always want to, even now, even if I know what code is or what a city's expectations are, um, that makes me sharper and smarter. Um, but I'm still trying to approach every interaction like that, like knowing you have something you can share me too. And, and I need you to want to partner well with me to be really successful. So that combination of like confidence in, in what you do know, but also like openness to the fact that none of us know it all. Um, I think that helps. Yeah, that that is gold right there. I mean, it's so easy to get that knowledge and then think you're the you're the most knowledgeable in the room right? You think that you know what everybody else doesn't know, but Mm. everybody's got something to give. Everybody's got something that you can learn from. So if you come in there with the knowledge, but with the openness to learn, I mean, that is, that is gold right there. I think everybody would do so much better uh, for themselves and for everybody else. If they approached every meeting, every interaction like that, like there's something to learn from this person. There's something to learn from this meeting. I'm going to take away and we're going to then figure out how we can implement this and, and, and run with it. Right. Mm. I actually think it's again, a pro for being, you know, a woman in our market. I think the world puts a lot of pressure on men to be like strong and stoic. And especially in like real estate and construction, it's like, you can't be weak, right? You can't show, any sort of um, weakness or, or that's not okay. It's going to be yeah, macho business. Back. totally. Yeah. There's a reason that construction has the highest rate of suicide. Mm-hmm. It's like, do people feel comfortable actually addressing like where they're at and being okay and like having healthy community 
or I think it's paramount where I think it is more tolerable for people to have a woman that's maybe displaying your knowledge or your strength, but also, you know, comfortable being a little more vulnerable and not having to be the one who knows it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's accepted by people. I think people are less comfortable when I'm really aggressive and um, confident, actually. They're more comfortable when I'm, you know, asking a lot of questions and learning. So I hope that's, I think that's the like. case for everybody, not just for you mm-hmm. being a woman. I mean, maybe it helps definitely in the industry, but I think that's the case for everybody. Everybody's more comfortable with somebody who's confident but who's asking a ton of questions and you're just, when you feel like you've got something to give, you like the person, right? When you're talking, mm. it's, it's that uh, Dale, the Carnegie thing, you know, the, the, how to win friends and influence people. He just talks to you. Like you go to into a room and you ask people a bunch of questions and they ultimately like, they just like you. They, they think you're an amazing person. And like, they actually think you have more knowledge than, what maybe you even do because you just ask questions like, and you ask mm. good questions. So I think that that's so powerful to be able to come into a room, maybe even as the expert, but just ask and continue to ask and ask and ask and learn. Uh, and you're going to get so much more out of it too. Mm. I love that. So, um, the strategy and vision, you know, you, it's, you've talked about, um, it was a stall, how yep. they came out of 2008 without a strategy, without a vision. Uh, and I think a lot of companies end up doing that. You know, we're probably heading into a recession if we're not already in one. Uh, a lot of companies will do the same thing this time. And I think just a lot of companies in general don't have a strategy or clear vision. So that's super important. So with that said, kind of what is Onyx's strategy and kind of clear vision moving forward here what, what are you guys yeah. wanting to achieve or wanting to kind of bring into maybe 2023 maybe even beyond how, how is the company growing yeah so i think when it comes to strategy and vision any of that kind of work or core values um, mission vision values i think it always takes deep work it takes time mm-hmm. I, I really dislike when people approach that work as like a marketing opportunity or communications tool it needs to be real and authentic and like grounded in um, what you're coming together to do. So, and I really like utilizing traction for business execution just in general. Um, so right now I'll be totally transparent. We started the business a year ago and we wrote out our initial core values and kind of what we were focused on, but we also wanted to be flexible um, because mm-hmm. we felt like as we were forming the business and even then writing on the wall, um, this was pre-interest rates raising, rising like they are now, but we were seeing the market metabolizing and kind of frothy and like yeah. problematic. Um, there And there were a ton of markets I had experienced building in that are not lucrative markets to develop or build in. So it's like, I've got lots of experience. We could go market and do more. We found a bunch of sites for multifamily development. Um, but are the returns attractive enough? Is it worth our time and focus? Um, so this year was a lot of like refinement of that, of looking at deals, looking at things together. And then especially I have two business partners. I'm looking at what do we think is like our sort of in the Venn diagram, the three of us, our secret sauce where we can have the greatest impact. And I feel much clearer about that now, kind of looking to the future um, than I did a year ago. Um, And that's really, you know, in those spaces, we still want to consult, develop, and then, you know, we'll do that integrative design and construction. I do want to add, we don't do our own design work. We always hire the right designers by the product type every time. 
Um, we still want to do that work, but where we apply it to is, is a little different. And um, we have found financial partners where like multifamily does make sense for us now, where we'll want a partner. Um, I'm personally pretty passionate about creating like middle market affordable housing, um, workforce style housing. Um, I think there's ways we can be smarter in design, potentially use modular in construction, um, or just look at how we're developing it and, and servicing it whole, holistically in a way that works. Um, not always. I don't want to compete for high rises or, or market rate. I don't see that being where we're going to focus. I see us doing something a little bit different and in the right on the in the right sub markets. Um, I actually really love what you do, Todd. I think the buy and reposition with interest rates going up, looking at existing assets on the market that are degrading and haven't been appropriately managed. That is a, a big strategy for us. Um, I, I think we'll continue. That's not just multifamily. That definitely overlaps into our traditional kind of what our base um, that my partners own in already. Um, yep. So looking well, at that's that. Times Square, right? I mean, that's a perfect example, yep. you know. Exactly. Totally. Well, we'd love to do more retail too. It, it's always if you can buy it at the right rate too. But yep. <laughs> yeah, um, but looking at those buy and reinvest opportunities. And then we do have some categories and partners on the development side that, um, have some really substantial demand that I think will develop in and around that demand and look more broadly, um, not just in our region, but throughout our country to do more development like that as well. And then in the consulting space, I feel really passionate about our consulting work. I see the other work we do is what cash flows allows us to have staff, make good, smart financial decisions. Our consulting work is, is just great ongoing revenue, but really um, it's the tip of the spear driving impact and good decisions. You know, whenever it's not a great deal that we can be engaged in some other capacity, if it's a project I think should happen, a way to evolve the market or produce work that I think should happen, um, consulting is the cheapest way that we can engage and, and drive decisions that have a huge impact without having to be um, the investor, the, the capital in the deal, without having to be the GC in the deal. Um, and I really like that work. I would like to find more and more good partners to support them. If they have a vision, I can help kind of intersect and, and help that become a reality. Same on the public sector. Some of that work has been so impactful where we cost our clients in the tens of thousands, but we're having impacts into the millions of dollars just in the decisions that get made. And I care about that. I love being able to go to a community asset and say, we were a part of making that happen. Um, we have a private client right now that's great concept, great business, but development and overseeing this just isn't their ballywick. And it was two years in and they're about to lose their deal. And we can jump in in two months, align the city, align their lender, align all these vendors of all the design, find the contractor. And now we're under budget closing this month, um, both on the site and construction wow. financing. That's and awesome. I love that. Like I'm, I'm yeah. really motivated too, by getting to just help other people's visions come to life. Yeah. That's really cool. Love that. Um, you've already, you talked about meditation. What are, what are other, maybe you have like three key things, um, maybe habits or just routines that you do that help you be successful every single day? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, um, I feel like I've always like been someone before those books came out. I was always someone who knew that I needed to be aligned with my like why, like who I am. Um, I just know I, I am like impact motivated person. I just am. Yeah. Um, so when I can see that impact in my clients, you can tell I come to life. I'm like, yes, um, I love that. Right. Um, then when I had my children, my why really evolved. I, I always thought I'm here to drive work that helps demonstrate what we can do better, like how we can all be our best selves producing better work that has a better long-term impact. And then I had kids and my why was just like, whoa, really grounded into place. Yeah. Um, 
of like, I get to help create the world they're in. I get to demonstrate what relationship, what work should look like, what healthy living should look like mm. to these humans that I love more than anything, you know? Mm. So for me, you know, whatever change you things, don't they? They really it, it, it's do. no longer about you. <laughs> yeah. And they really are my little Buddhas. They've helped me be a better me. Like I think yeah. I always was aggressive. And I think sometimes people had a hard time relating with me because I would work too much or just, you know, do things that made me harder to relate with. And then I had my kids and it was just so humbling. It's like, I get it. My days, my hours like mean something differently. Um, but not that it has to even be kids. I think whatever, yeah. you know, figuring out whatever that is that's inside of you. Like we, we are all unique. We all have different reasons for being, we're motivated by different parts of the process and we're not meant to be each other. Um, we're meant to be whatever we are. So like taking the time and self-discovery in your life, which I think isn't like a, once a, you do it once, I think that is a daily exercise and like listening to yourself and valuing, like, how are you feeling and what are you wanting and what are your values and in, in your goals? And what are you really here to do? Um, I think that's paramount because um, ultimately there's so much stimulus we have all the time, yeah. but ultimately we want to make decisions from a place of like what's inside of us. Like that's what matters at the end of the day. Um, and meditation helps with that, but whatever helps you, you know, touch that is good faith of any kind community, healthy community. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so, like you said, there's so, so many stimulus around us and like, there's so many, everybody's, especially like in this social media world, right? There's all these yeah. people are doing all these things and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes it's easy to compare and go, Oh, I got to do that. I got to do this. I got to do this. But like, is that really serving you? So you're right. You have to reflect and It's not just like once, it's not just even once a year. It's like, you have to constantly reflect is what I'm doing is how I'm showing up is what I'm thinking about is what I'm putting into my my mind or my body and all that kind of stuff is that really serving me today is like me comparing myself to this person is that really serving me is that motivating me or is it ch challenging me or what like what is it doing why am i doing this and does it make sense to like or do i need to step back a little bit do i need to think about what's important to me is it is this that's one of the things i sometimes will get caught up in is is you know like you said you get caught up in some of this stuff and you're just like wait a second is that really where where I want to be is that yeah really serving my why one listening to like so it's a good example on social media or something you see something and it makes you feel a thing and it's like oh they're you know this is it a lifestyle thing or they're doing this thing or they seem really expressed as a person feel that feeling you don't need to reject that feeling yeah, right. but like listen to the, the why, why are you why is that what is that here to serve you and teach you it might be that you know, I don't want to be them, but I want to feel more expressed. And like, I'm not taking time to figure out how to express myself or I don't want to be them. But, you know, like I would say, you know, if meditation and self-awareness are, are my number one and two, I would say my third is just health. Like, and I think health is so unique to each of us in our own minds and bodies. You know, I don't think there's one version of health of what we should be eating or doing, um, but finding ways that you're moving your body, foods that feel nourishing. If we are, if you're on a sugar dragon train, if like how you deal with your life is caffeine and sugar, you're going to very rarely feel grounded in making choices that are in alignment with your highest and best self. It's just hard. The way your body and mind is working is not going to be trying to serve that, yeah. right? So thinking sure. about those things that help you get into that place so that you can even have awareness to be like, hey, I see a thing. It makes me feel a thing. Lots of stimulus going on. But what is it telling me? It's telling me I want practices myself for excellence, for discipline, um, tells me that I want to be really expressed as a human, or it tells me that, man, their work looks interesting and I'm not feeling fulfilled by my work right now. Um, that That's cool. Like, 
we don't need to reject those things. Um, but yeah, to kind of ground into yourself so you can still make choices from a good place and not just be overstimulated. What, um, what's a mistake you've made? How can you, how, how have you learned from how you passed down that lesson to our listeners? Oh man. I think, you know, I, I think the biggest mis- I've made a number of mistakes. We all make mistakes. We all but- make a lot of them. I think the biggest mistake I made was frankly, not leaving my last company sooner. Um, I had a couple, I basically grew this company from a 25 to $125 million company really quickly. Um, then grew their other division, started expanding into work I wanted to do and very quickly was negotiating to buy the business. So, and that was what the, my former owner wanted as well. Um, so we had this long-term path of working towards, you know, me buying these businesses. And really there was a bunch of things I wanted to do on the other side of having bought them. I'm really wanting to shift more into development, into investment, um, into other categories in this consulting work, like what I'm doing now. I wanted our team to be able to do more, um, which actually financially would have stabilized the company, um, would have enabled it to not just be something that needed to feed itself with tons of work every year. We could have been more diversified. But there was a lot of like work I wanted to do. There was a lot of values I wanted to live and see fully through projects that kept being on the other side of this like finish line in my mm. mind. Yeah. Um, and yeah. now when I, I look back, um, I can definitely see there was just a few times I was in, incredibly dissatisfied or had drummed up a lot of opportunity and interest or drummed up a bunch of investors that wanted to support in my buyout that I allowed myself to not be my most aggressive and strategic in negotiation to try to get myself to where I wanted to be. I kept believing we were going to somehow get there. I believed what got said. I, you know, even as we were working through valuations that didn't make sense or multipliers that didn't make sense, I just didn't believe it wouldn't work. Um, I just, be, I just believed it would. And I think that belief stood contrary to facts. Is it because um, you wanted it so bad or what yeah, was the, I think I, what do you think that was from? I think I wanted it so bad. And I think I was being ignorant too. Um, I think I think that if I would have been well advised, you know, and I have good, um, I have good mentors and whatnot, that eventually that last year when it did fall apart, um, I, I had been talking to a number of my mentors who were kind of letting me know, these are warning signs we're seeing in your negotiation, yeah. you know, and I, I think, you know, when I was in tech before this, I was just, you know, I was used to that. It was incredibly cutthroat. Like it was every day things were changing. Um, but in this market and at that company, I think I was being ignorant to the fact that that could be, that I could be being used, <laughs> that that could be happening. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. I needed to, you know, there were things like I was prevented. I was told I shouldn't be investing in deals that that was, you know, that was a conflict for what we were producing on the GC side, which it just wasn't. Yeah. Um, and so I should have bought earlier to be able to invest in deals and to be able to uh, build my net worth, which would allow me, you know, thankfully I had saved up over my years and been smart financially that like when this transition happened, we were able to fund our own startup without investors. Um, you know, but that really, I've heard you talk about this on other podcasts, Todd. Um, I've heard you talk about this in general. I mean, I, I still have yet to pay myself out of my business. We pay our staff, we're investing in deals. Um, but really I, I needed a good year, year and a half runway where I made no money and invested in things. So if I wouldn't have been super smart financially and like tried, you know, and partnered well too. Um, I maybe would not have been able to launch my business last year. Um, and I really wish looking back that it's, you know, I, I should have fought for myself in different kind of ways to be more strategically engaged and set myself up either way um, to be engaged in the marketplace I wanted to do. There wasn't some finish line I needed to get through to do the work I wanted to do. 
it was either going to work there or it wasn't. And I probably should have called it. I have a distinct moment in my mind where I knew I was, I knew I was dissatisfied pretty deeply and I felt very much ready and I had work lined up. Um, and I just chaos kind of happened in the business and with our owner. And I chose to stay and stabilize the business instead of do that. And I, I look back and I think that was the exact moment <laughs> where my yeah. kids were young. I was ready. I had the money saved up. I had the work saved up. And I don't think I was ready to bet on me fully yet then. And I went through that hell. And now I'm like an FES to um, investing in myself and in the vision that we're trying to put forth. I see the value it creates. And I do think I maybe needed to learn that lesson, but I would love for other people not to to make that same mistake I did. Yeah. It's a tough, it's a, it, that's a tough one right there. Right. It, it's really tough to not make that because there's a lot of things at play there. There's a lot, there's really, I mean, if we unfolded that whole thing, that would, that could be a whole episode probably in itself because a lot of it, some of its mindset, right. Some of it's like you were doubting potentially yourself um, and could, can I do this? Can, right. Can, can I, can I step out from this company and do it on my own? So you're, you're, you've got some, you know, limiting beliefs going on there. You're also emotionally attached to this business. You've built mm -hmm. it up from where it was to now where it is. And so you're emotionally attached. You're emotionally attached to probably some of your clients, some of the projects that are going on. Um, so you're believing this thing can happen. You're being told, you're being you know, led to believe that, you know, you're going to be able to buy into this business. So, and, and you probably like and liked and respected the person or people that were telling you that. And so there's all these kind of dynamics and these things that are holding you back. And I can think of several times in my business where not, not the exact same, but similar types of things have happened and you allow yourself to get kind of caught up sometimes. And you allow these limited beliefs to like talk to you and say, you're not quite ready yet. I mean, I can remember the transition from, you know, doing one to four family houses to doing hundred plus unit buildings, mm. you know, is that mind just like telling me that, you know, that you can't do it right now. Like you, you're going to do it, but you're not right now. So there's so many things at play there, but yeah, it's just, you know, to the listeners, it's, it's, I think a big part is the mentors, um, you know, having good people around you that eventually helped you kind of get through that process, having good people around you and just listening to them and asking for advice. Don't be afraid to ask for the advice. Hey, what's going, here's the situation. What do you think uh, I should be doing? And, and of course you got to take all pieces of advice with a little bit of grain of assault, assault, but you also have to surround yourself with real trusted advisors who are in the business. I think if it's your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, that's a little different, but if it's people that have been there and done that, those people are really people you should be leaning on to. Totally. And if you can't, you know, before I found good mentors, I had a hard time for a while because for me, and a mentor needs to be someone who didn't just make strategic choices I can learn from, because I can learn that from a coffee. Yeah. It needs to be someone who's like values and risk tolerance are really compelling to me mm. where I'm like, okay, I can apply those values and risk tolerance across the seasons of your life. And continue to to ask for good advice. And I had a hard time initially in, in commercial real estate, finding good mentors that were a fit for me. Um, and so what I ended up doing was assembling a, a like board of directors of what I called pace setters, which were people that were like, you know, if I'm running that race and I look over, it's the person just a little ahead of me. And it didn't have to be the same market. It was like other people who owned other kinds of businesses, other people that 
were just showing up in a way that I was like, man, you are radical and, and compelling. And I, I really admire this about you. Um, and I utilized that board of directors for a long time, just kind of talking about what was going on and eventually then, you know, found folks in the market or they actually found me. A lot of my investors and mentors, thankfully, luckily, the last few years of business just kind of chased me down because I was I was not creating enough time for that. But thank goodness for them, because you're exactly right. It's like that that about board of directors you turn to is vital to have just other good feedback because it does get stressful. The numbers are big. The choices are big. Um, our families rely on us. Uh, our communities, like a huge reason I didn't go was my staff. You know, I had really yeah. invested in my staff and cared about them um, and felt responsible for them. And, but ultimately at the end of the day, we all have to make our choices and feel good about them and how we show up. And those people were paramount for me. Yeah. Um, okay. couple last questions, uh, before this has been awesome, by the way. And I, I, I want, I would love to keep going and like asking a ton of questions. I'm going to have to have you back on. So, because <laughs> I can't have an episode that lasts four hours. Um, so I, I think this is one of those episodes where the listeners are going to get so much out of, there's just so many little golden nuggets that we've talked about that you've, you've brought up and that I think it's so valuable, but we're going to get a couple more. What, what's a favorite book that you can recommend to our listeners? Business, Ooh, real estate, something. But um, I think in general, I think Tribe of Mentors is great. Kind of like going off of what we just said, not even that every person's going to resonate, but it's sort of like how I built this, the podcast for a long time. I listened to that. Um, and it was just like a reminder of all of the different angles of what success can look like mm. and how circuitous our paths can be in getting there. And I like tribe of mentors because it was like easy to kind of, you know, peruse through it and find something that really resonated. And every time be reminded that like, there are a lot of successful people showing that there are a million ways to do this. Yeah. There are a million ways. Um, so to just stay at it, to stay focused, to stay motivated. Um, that's one I think I turn to more often than not. Um, but then I also really love Pima Chodron. Um, she's just a Buddhist monk. I dig Pima Chodron. All of her books, she breaks down some pretty, you know, bigger philosophical thinking into like the everyday life. And one is um, just getting comfortable with uncertainty. Um, I think a lot of people, yes, I think we're not just at the edge of a recession. I think we're watching it kind of start to play out here. Um, and, you know, a lot of people get nervous, right? Especially if you're sitting in a bigger company, you don't know what's going on. And you think that a bigger company is going to give you some security. And the reality is you have very little control there. Yeah. You have very little control no matter where you are. What you can control is how you're showing up, where your headspace is at, how you're adding value. Um, those are things you can control. Um, we all have to kind of relate to that uncertainty. And I think we've all been living it since 2020, right? Like, we think things are working the way they're working, but they don't then, right? And we get lots of kinds of information and we're trying to figure out how to make smart choices for ourselves, for our families, for our communities. Um, so I think I like all of Pima's books, but um, being comfortable with uncertainty is one I've I've gone back to a few times um, when I can tell my nervous system's a little wrecked and just remembering that, you know, there are tools, there are things I can do. There's ways I can look at this um, that help me stay calm and remember that, you know, I, I'm not in control. What I can control is myself and how I see and breathe and show up and speak and treat other people. Um, so to come back to that. Yeah, there's that. That's one thing that is certain that the future is uncertain that, and that you cannot, 
You can control certain things in your life, but you can't control every little aspect of it. And you have to be comfortable with the changes that are going to happen. And, and guess what? It's not going to be history doesn't repeat itself. It maybe has some similarities, but, but it's not going to be the same. But just because we have high interest rates today doesn't mean it's the exact same as it was back in 1980. It's, yeah. it's just not. There's so many differences that the, the world has gone through. This country has gone through that it can't be. And so you mm. have to be comfortable with uncertainty it's just there's yeah 100 love it as it relates to project management i'll give you one more book there's a you know pretty dense textbook on integrated project delivery and i swear that thing's my bible i go back and reread it um it's got everything from you know upfront planning and, and insurance how you look at those things all the way through like lean construction execution thinking on the back end which i'm all about lean execution in the field um, so it's a, it's a dense read, but this book, you know, it's just the textbook on integrated project delivery. Even if all you do is philosophically take some thinking out, like how to motivate teams well, even yeah. if you don't use the contractual approach, um, you'll just, it's like you get value day one by by prescribing to producing a different kind of way. So a good boring one to conclude. What What is it called? Um, It's just the textbook on integrated project delivery. Integrated um, was, project delivery. Yep. Okay. And there's... um a lawyer that was one of the co-authors I was able to work with on a project and oh, cool. kind of how I ran into that. Love it. All right. So last question I got for you is what are your three pillars of wealth creation? Yeah. So I guess I would start with like, you know, I guess I mentioned this even in the you know, like daily practices, but like, I think number one, if you're just out trying to sell a widget, do a thing, find an angle on the market, the fuel to be successful is going to run out. I think deep down, you need to align the work you're doing with what you're here to do, and only you can figure that out. So I think taking the time on self-awareness and like really listening to yourself about, you know, what is it that you're passionate about and where is it that you want to drive um, work in your lifetime? And it could just be economic returns in a certain way. It really motivates you. That's fine. And hyper-focus on that. Um, but doing the work to to pick that thing, I really believe if we ground into like what we're passionate about, what we're here to do, we will attract um, great opportunities and it'll be the right fuel to do more of it and to grow and, and be successful. And then whenever you find that angle on what it is, you find your work, you find your angle on what that is. I think it's key to be pretty transparent about what you make and what you spend and realistic about it. I think we live in a world that like almost idealizes, like taking out an extra credit card, go on the investment, do the training, do the extra thing. And, and that's our norm is, you know, if you can afford this much in a mortgage, buy the most expensive house. And yeah, yeah. And I, I think that does not serve us. I think it just, it serves to drain us of um, our real long-term desires and goals. So, and I think a lot of times we have a hard time, people have a hard time adjusting their lifestyle to their, their actual income and compensation. And so I think just being really realistic about that. I mean, it's something my husband and I do with my kids all the time is we're just talking, you know, anything's available to you, but it's a family choice. And, and is that our value? Like we are excited about these goals. We're excited about those goals. Um, the kids, my kids, my nine and six-year-old talk about being excited about growing the business. Like they want to do that. So how does that fit into the rest of their expectations for life and activities and stuff? Um, so just as uncomfortable as it is, I think then transparency with yourself and your partner, if you have a partner, you share that, that with about like, what, you know, what are we making? What are our goals and setting up a lifestyle that we feel um, rich with abundance and aligned with that stuff, you know? I know a lot of people love Dave Ramsey. He has some pretty similar thinking. We love to 
leverage our cash and debt for real estate, um, but kind of live that way otherwise. If it's not a pass-through and business expense, I don't really like debt at all. It's just not my deal. Yep. So being I'm, I'm cash saying. positive. Yeah, I, I think cash positive is is key um, so that you feel like you're you're building your own safety net. You're, you're investing in your own goals and what you want. And then I would say the third is just consistency. Like if you can, if you can do those things, if you can be aligned with like listening to your soul and then trying to make sure you're kind of given a good look at what your goals are and your income and how you're investing, do that with consistency. I think you can generate wealth and do really well um, and not get swayed by all the other things that are, are going on in ways people are spending money and showing up. Love it. Love it. Jesse, again, this has been great. Uh, really appreciated our time together. And uh, uh, listeners, like, go back, listen to this. You're going to want to listen to this twice at least. Uh, there's so many things here. How can our listeners get in touch with you? How can they learn more about Onyx, what, what you guys are doing, and just get in touch with you? Yeah, well, first of all, I would love help with like a copywriter or a marketing person. Our whole website has been built out for like nine months, and I just refuse to write the copy for it. So we have a website, onyxsp.com. Um, but I would love to find someone to come support us um, with some ongoing marketing efforts over here. Right now, we are on social media, so Onyx Strategic Partners. I'm on Instagram as well, Jesse Houlihan, H-O-U-L-I-H-A-N. Um, and my email is Jesse, just spelled as it is, at onyxsp.com. Happy to have people reach out via any of those channels. Happy to take meetings, calls, intros, et cetera. And then hopefully one of our goals um, fresh into the new year is I tackle getting that website launched because it would be much easier for people to learn about us that way. We'll, we'll put all that in the show notes, but just so the listeners know, it's J-E-S-S-I-E. Correct. At Onyx and Onyx is O-N-Y-X. If you're like, how do you spell Onyx? Uh, SP.com. But we'll put it in the show notes. So that way it's just an easy click. Uh, people can get in touch. Jesse. Appreciate it. You have a fantastic rest of the day. Thanks. You too, Todd. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Your rating review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.